your Bibles to uh, Matthew 8. And if you get nothing out of what I have to say today, I hope that you heard the message of that song. Paul said, if I boast about anything but the cross of Jesus Christ, it's foolishness. That Jesus Christ loved us, came and died. He made a way for us to be in relationship with the Father. That on the third day, after being buried, after being crucified, he raised from the dead, triumphant over sin and death. And so if you get nothing else about this message, you need to understand that Jesus Christ came to make things right today. And everybody said? Amen. All right, you're dismissed. We're continuing a series that we started a while back, but it's called Follow Me. And I really appreciate Mo and Marla's heart. I appreciate what you said, Marla. I heard what you said. Everyone heard what Mo, Marla said. I'm going to tell you the opposite message today. And I want you to stay in the boat. Because I appreciate uh, very much um, what they were saying and the gist of it, but I don't want you to be confused because my message, in fact, turn to your neighbor and say, stay in the boat. <laughs> Father, I thank you for the things you've laid in my heart. I'm asking that you would open up this word. You're the God of faith. You're the God and author of our finisher of our faith, and you're not the God of confusion. I really do believe you're speaking a message to all of us today about risk and about faith and about trust. And, and for some, it will be a moment of stepping out and walking into circumstances beyond what we want. But others, it'll be staying right where they are and trusting for the completion. And so give us wisdom, Lord, as we sort this through. I realize there'll be more questions than answers, but that's all right because you're the God who sorts things out. And so, Father, we spend time in your word. I pray that you would do exceedingly abundantly all we could ask or imagine. Jesus, we realize that you're the vine and we're the branches. Do an accomplished work in here that eternity would be impacted. And all God's people said, amen. amen. All right, verse 23, it says that he, Jesus, got in the boat and his disciples followed and suddenly a great tempest arose in the sea. So the boat was covered with waves, but he, Jesus, was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and woke him saying, Lord, save us, we're perishing. And he said to them, why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the wind, and there was a great calm, and the men marveled, saying, Who can this be? Even the winds and the sea obey him. Jesus gives a command. If you look in verse 18, and Pastor Jim alluded to it last week, he commanded them to go to the other side. It's important you understand that. The title of my message is Looking Beyond Your Storm. You need to listen to what Jesus told them to do. We're going to the other side. There's something on the other side of this. Jesus had been doing ministry, as Pastor Ben pointed out two weeks ago. He was tired. He was worn out. He, was, he had another assignment for God as he looked at his itinerary. There was somewhere else they needed to go, and he said, all right, so let's get in the boat, the same boats that he had been preaching in before. Verse 23, he got into boat, and it says the disciples followed him. It's amazing how many times Jesus will tell us to do something, and we'll follow him only so far. I'm commanding you. We're going to the other side. Get in the boat, they got in the boat, but we'll discover they, they stopped following him at some point. If you're going to follow him, it's got to be till death do us part because his goals always exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or imagine. No eye has seen, no ear is heard, nor has even entered the hearts of things God prepared for each one of us. If, his, if he tells you to get in the boat, he's got a purpose for you. He's always thinking your best. He's never out to get you and to punish you and and to condemn you, and to knock you down, and put you in your place. That's not God. He's a loving and gracious father who only wants the best things for his kids. Does he give everybody things that we think are best? No. But as Einstein said, is always thinking the best for us. 
and he loves us and he cares for us. But in order to follow Jesus, the disciples had to get in the boat. They had to leave the place they were and to do something different than what he wanted. To go to the place that he was going. Turn to your other neighbor and say, get in the boat. Have you ever said anything like, I wish I had lived when Jesus lived? If, oh, if I could only have been around 2,000 years ago, it would have been so much better. And in light of this story, can I tell you where I'd rather be? 2015, sitting in a church where I can bring coffee or have no coffee. I would not want to be in the boat in this situation. I would not want to be right where Jesus was at at that moment. You know why? Because we can sit there and analyze and read what took place before and after, and the disciples couldn't. So all you people who think you wish you had lived when Jesus would have lived, I'm telling you, it would have been just as confusing as your life looks like today. Limited versions. We have, we have all these great stories of Abraham and, and no children and suddenly offering his kid. And you know what? Abraham was just as confused as you and I are. When he said, look at the stars, Abraham, and count if you can. He had no clue that you and I would be part of that. He did not have vision for that. His wife was old. Obviously, she was beautiful. But they didn't have a kid. And nothing made sense to them. I'd rather be right where I'm at because I have an advantage over the people 2,000 years ago. I have in my hands verses that go back to kind of explain what God started in Genesis and, and the promise of what he's going to do in Revelation. I'm grateful that it's 2015. I'm grateful that we're at the end of the story, not in the beginning of it. I'm grateful that, that he has a plan that's different. I'm grateful for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that's in our life that can remind us that God's got greater plans exceedingly abundantly. I don't have to stay in the position I'm in. I am so grateful to be in 2015. God's got better things for us. Let me give you a little bit of background. I won't spend a whole lot of time. The Sea of Galilee is relatively small. It's 13 miles long and about 8 miles wide, so it's about 64 square miles. But let me put in content. I think this, that Lake Mille Lacs has got to be one of our largest lakes in Minnesota. Maybe there's other ones that are a little bit bigger, but that's approximately 207 miles. So the Sea of Galilee is not a very big one. It flows from the Jordan River, flows into it. It's a beautiful, warm spot filled with palm trees. It's a luscious place. I went and looked up online the Sea of Galilee, and I looked at pictures, and I said, Jesus, you were really smart. You could have picked Minnesota, dead winter, 30 to 40 below weather, and you chose the Sea of Galilee and Capernaum to live in. Uh, he's a very smart God. Why he made Minnesota, I have yet to figure out. On the West Bank, there's valleys and gullies. And this beautiful, luscious land that is filled with life can suddenly go from a beautiful summer day to torrential storms because the winds come down there and it brings all the cold air and it fills those gullies and it engulfs in a way that, that few of us have ever experienced or understand. Suddenly, the sea can be full of tragedy. And hope. You gotta remember, these are seasoned fishermen who had fished on this lake. These are carpenters. These are men's men. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way, and I'm not trying to be sexist. These are people who worked with their hands and they were rough and they were strong. If they were afraid, there was something that was making them afraid. Seasoned veterans. Most of us would have seen the waves and said, I'm not going out there today. They were in the middle of this beautiful thing, and the storm came up, and they were afraid. So let me break down some of those words to help you to understand. Because in the middle of this crazy situation that they're in, Jesus is asleep in the boat. The word temptus means 
It's the same word that we get the word earthquake. It means to rock or to vibrate, to agitate, to to cause to tremble. It means to throw into a tremor. It it evokes the words of fear. This is not just a light, little light breeze. It's not just the white caps we get in Minnesota that you navigate you through in a kayak or, or even inside of a little uh, uh, canoe. These are strong. This is an earthquake. It's, tremend- it's, it's tumultuous. It's, it's seismic is where the actual Greek word for that. Cover up in the Greek means to cover up. They were literally hidden. The waves were coming over the boat. I said as I said earlier, if they were afraid, these are seasoned fishermen. And I want you to get a picture of this, because we read this and say, well, if I was you with Jesus, I would have just said, glory to God, everything's great, and I would have napped with him. No, you wouldn't. You know why? Because I've heard your stories. I'm amazed to be sitting in situations where, where the word of God is preached, or we sing these great songs, and then they come up for prayer, ask it for something, and it's like, is, is there no connection to what we just read? to what we just studied, to what we sang? And the answer is, we don't see it, just like they couldn't see it. So that's why I want us to look beyond the storm. The ship was hidden by these huge waves, and in the middle of this thing, their ministry leader, imagine the newspaper, ministry leader takes his team out in the sea, falls asleep, and they all drowned. He's asleep, but if he's asleep, then then we need to ask what was going on in Jesus' mind and what was going on in the life of these men during the time. Let me ask you a question. Why were they freaking out? They're experienced fishermen. It's certainly the boats that they hide. Some of them were either large vessels, but it didn't take 13 oarsmen to get that thing across the Sea of Galilee. Eight miles is a long ways, but it doesn't take you that long to get across it. So why were they freaking out, insisting that all 13 were there? At first glance, we'd like to believe that what they were really thinking is, we'll wake him up, he'll calm the waves, and it'll all be done. And I would submit to you that's not true. Because verse 27 says they were astonished. They were amazed when he did it. It's quite possible they thought, we need to wake everybody up. They sing the jingle, sing the jingle. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there in the upper room. I don't know what they were thinking. But some reason, the one guy had to wake up in order for them to all be there. I said, what, what is going through their minds? What is, what's happening to them? What's going on? Why did they not understand that in the ship with them was someone that could fix it? Verse 26, do you ever notice this? Did you read this? I hadn't noticed it until this week. He rebukes the disciples first for their lack of faith, and then he rebukes the wind. God's always going after his church before he goes after the world. Who the Father loves, he disciplines. If you're not disciplined, you are illegitimate. King James uses a much stronger word to explain that you have no father. Who the father loves, he lovingly disciplines there. So the, so the representative the representative is sitting in the boat goes and lovingly says, why the lack of faith, guys? Seriously. When you do ministry, you're worn out, you're tired. Sometimes you just need to shut down. Sometimes you need to pull back so you can start interceding and praying for words of knowledge and words of wisdom and get God's perspective. Jesus was also human. It's quite possible that the Father hadn't fully revealed everything to him. Paul said it's a mystery to understand the 100% God, 100% man. Don't try to figure it out. I'm just saying this. This Jesus who ate fish, who ate bread, and who ate, drank water, got tired and was worn out, and he cried, and he wept, and he got mad at times. Maybe he just needed some sleep. 
You pour yourself out, you're drained, and he's in the boat. So why were they all bent out of shape? The word fearful means timid. It also implies faithlessness. So where was the lack of faith? I, I don't believe it's just in there. Um, in, they didn't trust Jesus' ability to take care of the situation. I don't think that was it. I don't think that's what he was rebuking them for. I don't think he was rebuking them simply as saying, come on, don't you think I can take care of you? I don't think. I think he was taking them deeper. He was taking them further in this process. I think it had to do with the fact that in verse 18, he told them to get in the boat and we're going somewhere. He goes and says another time, he says, how much longer do I need to be with you? As he pondered the fact that these men he had poured his life in just weren't getting it. James and John, he, he goes and says, you've got to be kidding me, guys. You have no clue. Have, he says to Philip, after Philip says, show me the father, that's enough. He says, have I been with you this long and you still don't get it? We get discouraged as parents when our children don't get it. This was Jesus who knew the end of the story, that he needed to get in and do his job and die on the cross and be raised from the dead so he could get out of here so the Holy Spirit could come. And that would suddenly would supersede any prophecy we'd ever had in that God could suddenly speak to people and speak and live inside of them differently than he had. And these people aren't getting it. I think some of the discouragement that he felt that day was saying, have I been with, this is the team that the Father's given me and they still don't get it. They don't get that I can have something different here. That, that verse 18 was the, the command, the word that we're going to the other side. And day after day, these men had been with him and he had fulfilled his word. And I think the frustration, if I could put it that way, is that these men suddenly said, Jesus doesn't care. He doesn't see it. He doesn't get it. So he's freaking out in the boat. And they missed the fact that he said, we're going to the other side. The disciples' lack of faith was this, that in the middle of the crisis and the storm, these followers forgot what Jesus had said. The problem is with storms when we're going through it, I don't think we remembered the God who calmed the storm the last time. We just forget. They're no different than we are. And that's what's so cool about it. Their stories are written in here. I think it's probably why I changed my name to Tommy O so that when you read Thomas, you don't have to make any connection. But their stories are here for us to analyze it. And their stories are us to break down. And our story to sit there and say, man, I tell you, I'm so glad my name's not in that book. But the truth is we're just like them. See, when they were sitting in the boat, they knew about where it says in Isaiah. Where did you read that this morning, Kathy, from Isaiah what, 54? 40, 43, verses 1 to 7, where it talks about how God delivers us when the waves overcome us and puts us in a place of strength and safety. These men were in the boats. They knew the story of Jonah, one of the oldest stories in the Bible. They knew the story that when Jonah was, was in these turbulent situations, the same God delivered them. They knew these stories. But when you're in the middle of the storms, we forget them, and they forgot them. And they couldn't remember that. And what's even weird is the one who's in the boats, as we sang earlier, is the same one that put their very breath in their lives. He's the same one who took two parts of hydrogen and, two, and a part of oxygen and put them together and created the water that the boat was sitting in. He was the maker of the universe. He was the same one that grew the tree that formed the boat that they were sitting in. He was the same one that created the rocks and stuff, that created the metal parts that were on that boat, sitting in the boat with him was the God of the universe. Colossians 1 says everything was created by him and for him, and he was in the boat. And in the middle of a storm, sometimes we forget that sitting right with us is the maker who holds our life together. Turn to your neighbor and say, stay in the boat. 
God's got a purpose on the other side of the storm you're in. God's got a reason that you're going through this. And he gave a command, we're going to the other side. And this is not put on. This is not put on. This is reality and that we watch people over and over, and myself included. We just forget about God. We do. We forget about him. Ah. Sing songs of worship. On Christ the solid rock I stand. Really? I think you're looking at magnified sand. Looks like rock, but it really isn't. You know how it comes? Because all of a sudden we start doing this. And I'm not negating the fact that you're dealing with real storms and real torment and real hurt. It's real and it hurts. And there's times we shake our fist that should be lifted up and we say, God, if you love me, how can you do this? I jokingly said to somebody at work, a little oxygen, I walked into this room inspecting this one room that was being remodeled, and uh, somebody didn't see me, and they had a clock gun that dropped some clock and it landed right on my watch. And I turned to one of the counselors, and I said, why does God allow this stuff? And he says, why not you? Did you ever think about that? Dwayne, why not you? Gene, why not you? Why not you, Rich and Julie? Why not? These guys certainly didn't get to pick whose name got chosen. But wouldn't you love to have the story of Abraham and Sarah? God's got his own thing for each one of us to do. God's got his own purpose for each one of us. Verse 26, it says, The same one who made the wind and the seas arose and rebuked the wind and the sea, and there was great calm. God responds quickly when we cry out to him. It seems like it takes a long time. It seems like it's a long answer, but here's my, here's my observation I want to submit to you, is that oftentimes when we read the stories, they're more or less like little photographs of success stories. And we don't see the emotions that go on. You, you know, Paul spent 14 to 17 years from when that day in the road to, to uh, where he was going with the, the orders to destroy the church. 14 to 17 years be really before he started seeing the fulfillment of this. John the Baptist never really understood it. He even asked Jesus as he was sitting in prison and saying, did I miss it? Did I blow it? Hebrews 11 tells us that these men and women who gave of their lives didn't get it. We read just little snapshots of these stories that are taking place in there, but if we look deep inside the scriptures, you'll discover that right after Elijah took on the prophets of Baal, he went into this time of depression and suicide, and he cried that God would kill him. Oh, I'd love to have been Elijah take on all those prophets of Baal and taking on Jezebel and pointing my finger right in their face. Really? Your stories are not recorded yet. Your stories are not written yet. You're just in the middle of the thing. You're staying in the boat because God's got an exceedingly great promise for you. And the promises that he's given to you, they're really God-breathed, not some false prophet, but they're God-breathed. If he said them, he's going to make them come to pass. Our God never fails. Let me tell you this. I'm a, I was a young man, and I'm much older now. But I've never been, my, the, my children have never begged for bread. I've never been forsaken. We've always had exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or imagine, taking gaze to us. We've always had more than enough. We've never lacked anything, ever. But I can say this on the other side of my financial storms. When you're in there, and this is what happens, is most of the times we forget this, and all of a sudden I'll get home tomorrow, and there'll be a, an Excel bill, and it's like it throws me off because it's 20 cents bigger than it was the month before. And how are we ever going to pay this? 
You say, well, that's, you know, that's not the stuff that throws it off. Yeah, it is. It's not the big thing. It's the little foxes that steal it. It's the little leaven that gets inside of there. We should never allow doubt and unbelief to enter our lives. You say, well, how do we get that? I'll tell you in just a minute. The same Jesus, check this out. The same Jesus who was in the boat radically reinterpreted the law in, mass, in uh, Matthew 5 to 7. He came in there and told us in what we call the Beatitudes. He's the same one who was in the boat, was the guy who had just done all the curings and all the healings and all the deliverances in chapter 8, in the beginning part prior to this passage. Same ones in the boat, same God, same Jesus, same everything. Now extends his kingdom to include the wind and the waves and say, I'm going to show you where my lordship reigns. You want to see this change? And he spoke to the winds and he spoke to the waves. Everything was done. And they were astonished. They were marveled. They were, they were amazed by that this, this human being that was in the boat with them that had just done all these miracles, that had just spoken with, with such great authority, could suddenly calm the winds. That's why I said, I don't think that when they said to Jesus to wake him up, I don't think he were asking him to do that. I think they were just saying, wait a minute, we're all in this together, and, and Jesus says, I'm miserable, then you need to be miserable too. Verse 28, they land on the other side of the sea, and then the fun really starts to begin to happen. And ministry takes place. And the reason they had to get in the boat will be soon revealed, and Pastor Sam is going to preach on this. But see, this story is much more than just calming the storm. That's, that's not what this story is about. Certainly we can apply it to our life in knowing that if we're in the middle of a crisis, we're in the middle of a storm, that Jesus will calm our lives if we trust him and follow him. We know that. He says, peace I live you, not as the world gives, but it's a different kind of a peace. And that's a great application of that story. When you're in the middle of the thing and everything's tossed in turbulence, it can be well with your soul. It's a great application. But to me, it reminds me that we're in the storms of doubt that try to uproot the very foundation of Jesus Christ in your life. There's a steady safety in the presence of the Lord. And if we deviate away from there, you will get the same results that the disciples had. They are in familiar turf, in a boat, the ones who were fishermen, in a boat, on a sea they had fished in, and they could not see the God of the universe who was sitting right next to them. In fact, he... If really, if they were following him, perhaps some of them should have been asleep, resting up. Because it didn't take all 13 in order to roll that boat across there. According to the song, Michael rolled it all by himself. A little more oxygen, trying to get us through this thing. So let me ask you some questions. Where are the areas that you doubt Jesus? Because we don't ask the questions, we can't let God fix them. All right? Where are the areas that you still doubt Jesus after Jesus has given you a promise and the storm comes up? James says, don't think it's strange that all these things are happening, as though something is wrong, as though you did something that wrong. How many here, can we be honest, how many here when diversity comes, be brutally honest, question, did I do something to offend a loving God? Is God mad at me? Can I see your hands, please? We all, we all do this. We're too religious to admit it. Where are the areas that you doubt Jesus? Where are the areas that you are no longer following him? That's it. I tried that thing. You don't try Jesus. It's a lifetime surrender. You follow him, period. Mo and Marla's story is so unique in the fact that their story started out west. They came to Twin Cities for uh, Mo. You don't know this. Mo is a ordained in the Mennonite church. He came here to pastor a church on the west side. If you look back now, you can obviously see the Lord's hand was on your life, Correct. 
but it's not the path you would have chosen to be back here today. Not really. There was a lot of hurt. There was a lot of brokenness. There was a lot of the waves coming over your boat saying, How, have we missed it, God? Somewhere is, were you in Oregon or Washington? That wasn't one of your choices. Okay, they were in Montana disobeying God, I guess. They were in Montana, took a call to come to ministry, packed up everything, and somewhere between there and coming to the west side of St. Paul, everything changed. Mo and Marla have been staying in the boat. They have been saying, I'm just going to keep trusting you, and I'm going to keep trusting you, and I'm going to keep trusting you, and I'm going to keep believing you. So where are the areas that you no longer trust him? Where is the area that lack of faith that Jesus wants to lovingly, I'll say admonish because it sounds like a better word than rebuke, where does Jesus want to rebuke you for having a lack of faith? If we're going to be followers of Jesus, we have to learn to trust him. That the only safe place is when we're sitting in the boat, when the storms arise, and we're holding on to the promises that he said to us. That is the only place to be. So why is it difficult for us to trust him? Can I tell you an obvious one? Because we can't see him. We, this is all faith. It's all based on faith. We're all based on experiences, and we know that we've seen him. We know we have seen him because all of creation is even groaning for the manifestation of the sons of, of men is what Paul writes. We know in Romans that, that all around us we can look around and see the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. The firmament shows his handiwork, David wrote. All across we see it. But it's difficult because we can't physically see him. And I'm going to tell you this. This is why I'm glad to be 2015. These guys were in the boat. They physically saw him. They still couldn't get it right. So we can't walk on stuff that we see experimentally. We can't go watch experientially. We cannot base our whole life on that. It can't because they were right in the same boat. So, so if we don't trust and we doubt God, it can't be because we don't see him. That can't be the reason. And I'm going to get to the end of this so I don't I'll give it a little more oxygen. I love the passage. My favorite passage is when Thomas said, I won't believe unless I see him. And Jesus, the God of the universe, the one who only said what the Father says, goes to him and says, Thomas, I want you to touch. I want you to see. It seems like he was rebuking them for the lack of faith. But I'm going to tell you this, to give yourself a little oxygen, because the Spirit wants to bring conviction. The, the, the enemy wants to bring condemnation. Jesus will never rebuke you when you go to him and say, I don't, I don't get it. I don't believe you. I don't trust you. I think it's important we let this thing stir up today because if we're going to follow him, we've got to get some things settled with him. And one of them is we just we don't trust him all the time. We say God is good all the time and all the time God is good, but I'll tell you if we're honest, and let me, if we read each other's journals, there's times we just don't trust him. And I would say to you and submit to you that it's pretty normal. You're a normal person. You're a normal human walking out a normal Christian experience a normal walk. It's just it's what all men and women have to go through. Some of you are stuck, though, however, just trying to survive the storms of life. If I could just hunker down and hang in there and just get through this one, and, and you're missing out on so much life, so much rest, so much peace, so much joy, just hunkering down, going to get to the other side. But that's not the end of the story. On the other end of the story is a man who needed deliverance. On the other end of the story is a man who needed salvation. On the other end of the story was a man who needed to be released as an evangelist. On the other side of the story is a town that needed an evangelist. Ten cities, the Decapolis. That's on the other side of your storm. Jesus is taking us all somewhere, and some of you have got to sit there and say, I don't trust you, Lord. Could you deal with that part of my life so that we can have a whole lot less turmoil in the boat 
as the turmoil outside of the boat feels like it's going to engulf me. Let me ask you a little simple question. Did the disciples die that day? So why do you think the same God's going to kill you in the process? Paul said to be absent from the body, be present with the Lord. So even if he did kill him, that would have been a good thing. When you partner with Jesus, he's taking you from one place to the next. Let me tell you this. In the process, he has a plan to take you somewhere. He's trying to get you somewhere. That's his purpose. He gives long-term vision beyond the storm. His thoughts are bigger than your immediate circumstances. The work he's done in any of our lives was not about you. The problem I have with your narcissism Matt, is you never want to talk about my issues. We are incredibly narcissistic people, and so because we live in that world that's conformed to the American gospel, is we have this image that everything that goes wrong must have something to do with us, and it's not. God's always thinking about somebody else. He's doing a work. Why? Paul says this, that the power of God, the glory of God might be seen through us. All these things he did in the men and women's life are for us today. The fight of faith that Abram went through to believe that he was called to be Abraham and Sarai to be Sarah, all that fight was for us. Everything he's doing in your life is for the purpose as a chamber pot for God to use you for someone else's life. And if you don't have that vision, you're going to lose it in the storm. And you're going to want to get out of the boat, which would be really kind of a silly thing, and that's why I said our analogy is a little off there. The disciples couldn't think about cities being reached with the gospel because they couldn't see beyond the storm. We need to look beyond the storm to see the mission that Jesus has for each one of us. We need to look beyond our fears to see the people who need deliverance. We need to look even beyond the deliverance to the people that need salvation. We need to look beyond the salvation to those who need a purpose. We need to look even beyond the purpose to the cities that need salvation. And we need to look beyond the cities that, that have a need for them, the 10 cities that God wants to use each one of us for, to individuals who need salvation, we need to look beyond the storm to the testimony and the glory that God will give through this stuff. Jesus wants to follow him. Jesus wants us to follow him because he already knows what's waiting for us on the other side. In case you didn't get it, the reason they had to go to the other side is because there was a purpose for them. Otherwise, if they didn't have to go to the other side, don't you think Jesus would have stayed right where he was? As Pastor Ben pointed out, they were, they were, once the healing took place to Peter's mother-in-law, they were clamoring at the door. They were bringing their friends. Everyone's coming back. He had somewhere to take them. So if he's taking you through a storm, and the emphasis is through the storm, then he's got something else important for you. If he's allowing you to go and experience pain and suffering, or if he's allowing you to have joy and prosperity, it's for a purpose. Jesus is always thinking of a purpose. Because I don't know if you figured it out, this whole thing. That's why Paul said if we boast about anything but the cross of Jesus Christ, it is all about his name and it's his story. It's his reputation. It's just that we've convinced ourselves that it's all about us. And I'm telling you, it's not true. And the, and the further we get away from the truth that we're, we're his, and that we belong to him, and he's got a story and a purpose of life, the more messed up we get. That's what I love about worship. It draws us back into his presence and make it back about him. And suddenly we realize that he wants us to be co-laborers, and we get excited about that, and it's a good thing. So how can we have faith? Let me give you five things real quick. In times that we're in the middle of the ship and when, it's, when it seems like we're in the storm, how do we have faith? How can we trust him? Number one, 
And these are all things that are not going to shock you, but I, and that's the way it is often with God. We just need to do them. We just need to do it. Number one, get the word of God in your life. Make it a higher priority. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Get this into your life. There has to, if this really is the word of God, if it's really God breathes, if it's, it's all the things that we have took a stand on where the rest of the church has gone a different direction, if it's really true, then get this in your life. Well, I've always looked at this, get the whole word. One of the things I really appreciate about Norm that I'm going to miss, Norman took us on this journey for about a year and a half and getting us to spend time reading through the whole gospel, the whole Bible, story after story, line upon line, I think everything but the book of maps. He says he read the whole thing. I didn't read the book of maps. Took us through the whole Bible and spent time chewing on it. God, what are you saying to me? God, what are you saying to me? There's things that I know that were hidden in my heart during that time that had become rock for me to stand on. Build up your faith before you get in there. That's what we read the scriptures for. When we see it, when it's not enough to know that when the enemy comes in this way, God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. When you read the end of those stories, you see God comes through every single time. It's not enough that he was crucified on the cross or that he was buried in the ground. He rose again, and he's coming back again. This isn't the end of the story. Get the word of God inside of your heart before the storm. Number two, how do you build faith and trust in him? We need to develop intimacy with the Father. I'm going to tell you this. Some of us just really don't know how good he is and that he loves us. Yeah, it's the bad news. The good news is Jesus said, I've come to take you to the Father. Get to know him. Jesus wants to take you to the Father. Why? What did I do? Why does dad want to talk to me? What, what am I not done? What, what, what did I not get taken care of? Why would he want to sit with me? Let Jesus take you to the Father. When you understand that you're a son and a daughter, it makes all the difference. Because I'll tell you what happens eventually. You start seeing them as sons and daughters. And you start realizing we're all made in the image and likeness of Christ. And you realize that we're all children of his. And you start having compassion and love. And so when he says, go out and talk and go out and share, there's just this willingness in your heart to go do it. But get to know the father. Get to know him as a son. Get to know him as a child. Jesus said, if you don't get it as a child, and he wasn't talking about a young age, if you don't understand it and just simply to barge in there and say, Dad, I'm hungry. Dad, I want you to hold me. Dad, I want you to feed me. Dad, I want you to love me. If you don't get it this way, you'll miss it. So Jesus, take us to the Father before the storm. So when I'm sitting in the boat, I can nuzzle up right next to him and put my head on his chest and say, Jesus, wake me up when we're on the other side. Number three, we need to develop a close relationship with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to tell you this. Some of you still don't get it. I know it's in your theology. But God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, he came as a representative of the rest representative. Some of you need to get up every morning and say, good morning, Holy Spirit. I'm excited that you're in my life. I thank you, Holy Spirit. Some of you pray, Shabbat Shalom in the beginning when you got the thing, but you don't take time to spend time interceding in him, being filled with the Spirit and refilled with the Spirit. I can't do what I do in an average week. I can't do without the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. I'm always gravitating towards the fleshly side of life. I need the spirit of God. I need to be refilled. John 16 says that's what he came for. Get to know this Holy Spirit. He is God. And he longs to be with you and to teach you and to instruct you. Well, I got the Holy Spirit. Six. Be refilled. Today, not five minutes from now. Today, get the Holy Spirit in your life. Let him come. How do I get this? You simply ask it. You ask for a relationship with the Father. You ask for a relationship with the, with the Holy Spirit. 
No good thing will he withhold to those who walk uprightly. He says, ask and I'll give it to you. So he can instruct us and build us up so we're in the storm saying, you're right. Does it make it any easier, Brenda? Sure it does. When the Spirit of God brings back scriptures to you, it, it looks a lot like this. Like we're hanging on, but we're hanging on. And all of a sudden, because I, I, you know, I, I've seen this a lot, where all of a sudden she'll be quoting a scripture that her and Kathy have shared and compared. And I watch, and it's like, oh, I can, keep, I can keep on this battle a little longer. I can stay in the boat a little longer. I can push away past the waves a little longer. Why? Because it starts stirring up my faith. It starts building up my faith. Number four, we need to follow Jesus. What is the title of this series? We need to follow him. Someone said to me, the Lord sent him to Teen Challenge. I said, <laughs> I was looking at another church plan. I was looking at other things to do. I was looking at traveling more, not going to Teen Challenge. I'm not interested. Pastor Jim said, what do you do? I said, I do exactly what you do, including weddings and funerals. I do the same thing he does with a whole lot more stress. But the best part about it is when someone gets mad, so if someone gets offended to me, uh, they go to another church. There they have to be there. There they have to stay there. There we've got to work it out and love it out and talk it through. And so I've got a congregation that I watch men and women who are desperate for God go and change from these hardened people that have no hope, no life, transformed into saying, I'm a believer for God, and I'm a child of God, and the, and the wicked one doesn't touch me, and I'm the head, not the tail. I'm above, not beneath. And you watch these mighty accomplishments, miraculous power of God to transform life. Other than that, I sit around and drink coffee all day. No. But we, if we're going to follow him, we've got to go wherever he goes. He takes that lordship pretty seriously. And number five, we've got to look beyond the storm. Beyond your storm, there's so much more. Worship team, please come up here. There's so much more beyond your storm you're going through. How many, let me ask this question. How many here have been encouraged by what someone else is going through in this congregation as you hear their stories? I have. I'm amazed at the amount of grace God pours out in their stories. I'm also grateful that it's not me going through it. But, but as community, you still go through it. Many of, how many here would rather wait till the story's over, have it all polished, edited, and then share our story without having anyone see us vomit and make mess? And... It doesn't work that way, not in community. That's not what it's about. I appreciate, Marie, your, your honesty. I know Marie does not like uh, drawing any attention to herself, so I appreciate the freeness of her tears up here being raw before people, because if you know Marie, that's, that's not where she's at. I mean, the part about being in public that way. So we're going to sing a song, and I really believe this, that Jesus is simply saying, I want you to say yes to what I'm bringing you to. And the song we want to sing is, is called Oceans, um, Where Feet May Fall. And every time, we have several different chapels, and I preach there a lot, and this song always reverberates in my heart because especially the men singing a little bit different. So I don't know, somebody started about two years ago. And one of the things says, I will call upon your name. You sit in the chapel with three, four, five, six hundred people, and you hear them say, Jesus! Because they're desperate. And they got 16 or 25 years hanging over their head. And they're, they're 20-year meth addicts and 20-year heroin addicts. And they got nothing going for them. And they've tried suicide and it hasn't worked. And they've lost their families. And they've lost their hope. And they've lost all responsibility. They cried out desperately from the ship. Let me tell you this. It is okay to cry out to Jesus and wake him up in the storm. Do you know that? 
That's not what this story is about. It's something inside the men or women. You think all of creation is growing. Let it manifest in this place. Cry out to Jesus. See, Jesus, I need another fresh touch here today. I need a fresh thing. I need someone to come alongside of me and encourage me because I've had enough. And some of you have even contemplated suicide today because you're tired of your storm and you're worn out from your storm. But I'm telling you this, that's the bad news. The good news is Jesus is in the boat with you and Jesus is in the house. Stand on your feet, please. I want to take us from the place that we can't see Jesus to the place that we actually echo these words. Spirits, lead me to the place where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander. And my faith will be made stronger in the presence of the Lord. I want to encourage you to come up if you need prayer. I want to encourage you to not leave this place today and say, I'm going to do it one more on my own. It's not about white-knuckling it. It's not. We're here to love and each other and encourage. So if you need prayer, come on up. And let's enter into this song. Father, I pray that you would draw us deeper even right now. Send your spirit in a way that, that's beyond what we've even experienced this morning. You've been wooing us and you've been calling us and you've been calling us to respond and you put that very breath in our lungs today. Help us to echo back our cries. Father, there's many in this room that are worn out and tired from surviving. You heard Pastor Ben tell the stories of death and loss and mourning. Father, we want to encourage each other and come alongside. I pray that you'd do signs and wonders in this place. That you'd liberate people who are bound. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said. I'd like to encourage you to if you're not praying to come up and pray for somebody, if you need to leave, that's fine. I'm not going to do a benediction. Don't leave here without any of your needs met.